welcome to another episode of Ace Outwind Tennis Podcast. This is your host, Alex Rector, with co-host Matthew Thaler. Hey, Alex. It's good to be back, as usual, after a little long hiatus. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it, it, it's been good. You know, I've had, actually, I guess we should probably inform our listeners, one of the reasons we've had a hiatus is I've had a career-ending injury oh. from my t- tennis game. Um, actually, I'm just joking. That's not the reason we've been taking so long. But yeah, I dislocated my shoulder playing tennis after winning. Literally, I think it was six days after winning the, uh, well, my uh, my ladder turn- tournament here in Raleigh, North Carolina. I go ahead, going for a big John Isner serve, and I end up throwing my entire shoulder out. <laughs> this has happened before. Never like this. Happened yeah. with my left arm t- ten years ago. Had to get surgery. Second time my right arms come out. Uh, first time was with you actually playing basketball about five years ago, four or five years ago. So after seeing the orthopedist, I, I, I've been told I need to do some aggressive PT over the next two to three months and then kind of go from there. So currently recovering. But I will rise from the ashes like Roger Federer and come back Absolutely. even stronger. Absolutely. Uh, you know, students of the game, their sacrifices must must be paid, you know. Uh, so. I, I will gladly sacrifice my shoulder uh, for, you know, uh, my, my tennis game. Anything oh. I can do to improve and just, just get better from there. But anyway, people are tired about hearing <laughs> about my orthopedic problems. <laughs> Absolutely, Matt. So I think we've got a really fun episode lined up, as always. Um Matt, I know we talked about this a little bit. We were kind of in the middle of the tournament last time we podcasted, but want to just touch really quick on the New York Open. Okay, there was an uh-huh. opinion piece uh, in the New York Times. Excuse me, a, a, an article in New York Times um, talking about the New York Open. Uh, a lot of people, I think, on Twitter thought it was a dud. Um, yeah. talk, talk to me about what you think about it, about the article. Uh, give me your thoughts, Matt. So, it, you know, it's funny. I watched pretty much every single night, uh, you know, the, the New York Open was on. In fact, I did watch every single night. And before this article even came out, and even the buzz on Twitter, I was thinking the same thing. It, to me, it was poorly attended. Uh, I mean, hardly anybody was there. There wasn't a whole lot of energy. It was interesting to see whenever the tennis were, the players would come in to the arena, there'd be a smoke. They'd be playing Welcome to the Jungle. It was just all hullabaloo. Yeah. And there'd be about 15 people watching it. Uh, I, me personally, from a tennis perspective, I don't think it was very good. Uh, the, the final drew well over 1,000 people. But compared to how well Memphis had supported this for over the past 40 years, it was really honestly a dud. Uh, and a lot of the players weren't too happy with it either. They were very disappointed that even though it's called the New York Open, you're really on Long Island in Uniondale. And I've been there. I've been to the Nassau Arena where it was hosted at. And you are not close to Times Square in New York yeah, City. Yeah. You're a solid you're not... hour, hour and a half away. Oh, that far away. It, really? it can be. I mean, really with traffic, it's With traffic, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, you are, you are way up in uh, in Long Island. That's wild. I didn't know. I, I'm not very familiar with New York, so I didn't know it was that far away from the um, – from the lights and the action, if you may. 
Yeah, and that was a complaint of some of the players. I mean, some of the local players, even the American guys, didn't seem to have a problem. But a lot of the people that weren't as familiar with it, which most some players are, eh, you know, didn't really seem to be too satisfied with it. Uh, it. It seemed like the tournament director and the other tournament management overall, that they were really kind of putting some positive spin on it, saying, we know it's the first year we've had it, and... All in all, sure, the attendance wasn't great, but it, it's really what we expect. And to to, to me, I, I disagree with that. I, I consider it to be a failure. I think it was a complete failure. And I think one of the other biggest reasons why is their tickets for the New York Open were priced higher than the first week tickets to the U.S. Open in Flushing Meadows. It Are you serious? Was, yeah, it, it was very, very high. The, the t- tickets were obscenely priced. That's insane. Uh, I mean, yeah, especially absolutely. if you're not, if you're at some dumpy hockey arena. You know, you're not at you're not at Flushing Meadows. Yeah, uh, you, you're not at Flushing Meadows. Meadows, you're seeing a 250 when there's several other tournaments going on across the globe. You're not going to get some of the best talent. I mean, we had good talent, but it just really wasn't that well supported. Uh, I'm curious to see what they do with it in the future. I, I One good piece of silver lining is they can only go up from here. But you have to make yeah. you have to make some changes. They have to lower the ticket prices. Uh, and, and they have to find more reasons to bring the people uh, you know, inside the arena to watch the yeah. tennis. I mean, I think at the end of the day, though, and I know we touched on this last episode, so I don't, don't want to spend too much time on it. The layout of the arena itself, I think, is really cool. You know, I think it has yeah. a potential venue-wise to be very popular. I think so. We have to have the right fans to do it. And in a town sure. like Memphis, where <clears throat> there's not a, a town like Memphis, where there's not a whole lot of going of things going on on a day-to-day basis, and it's much easier to commute. To me, it makes a much better host than New York and Long Island, when it's basically the suburbs of New York City. And there's a lot of other things to do in New York and even in Long Island. Then go play, pay out the nose to see, you know, a, a guy who's ranked 40 play a guy who's ranked 78, you know, on tour. And I can't exactly disagree with that. Aside from the tennis, you know, diehards and maybe some housewives that that were bored, I can't really see much of a reason to go back. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, but anywho, obviously... Just wrapped up probably, I think, Matt, one of the – I think it's the best tournament that's on the Grand Slam of the entire uh, year, Indian Wales, out there in uh, the beautiful California deserts. Larry Ellison of Oracle, that's kind of his baby, if you may. Um, watched – I watched the final between Del Potro and Federer. I watched – I kind of started – late in the second set and watch until the end. Probably, Matt, one of the best tennis matches I've seen in a very, very long time. Yeah, so, you know, this is an American men's podcast, but we would be terribly be remiss. remiss. Yeah. yeah, as we like to say, if we didn't at least touch on this final. It, yeah, it, it had everything. Three sets, up and down. Roger Federer was getting flustered. He was getting upset. And then Delpo was still able to finish it off. I thought multiple times Federer was going to win. I didn't think Delpo was going to be able to come back from the after being emotionally drained late in that second set, thinking he had it. 
The crowd was getting into it. I, honestly, it sounded like we were in the middle of a night match at the U.S. Open, how yeah. much that crowd was getting into it. It was Great very raucous. A lot of, you had a lot of actually, Federer does this more than people think. He's not the perfect gentleman people think he is, but Del Potro was doing this too. Very chippy at, with the uh, mm. with the umpire. And, and I love it. I you do know, too. I, I think it's great. I think, I think the way the umpire was being treated was very unfairly. However, if Fe- I really hope the Federal fanboys were watching closely to see how Federal was just sniveling for the whole second half of the match, really, about people walking around, about people making noises, this and that. And Delpo was too, but you know, people put Fed on this very high pedestal. And it, it was kind of nice to see, as much as I love and respect Roger Federer, that he is really no better than any one of us, and he can get frustrated too. And it was his full, first loss since I don't even know when. When's the last time he lost? I uh, can't it's even his think. first loss this year. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I know. So I I, I was glad to see Delpo win because in my mind. Uh, Delpo is one of the best people on tour. He, he yeah. is top three material. It's just he's just had that big injury that that really sidelined him for yeah. for quite quite a while. And I'm really excited to see if maybe just maybe Delpo can pull out a slam final this year. That would be awesome. Big news on the American men's side, Matt from Indian Wells. I think you've got to look at Taylor Fritz mm-hmm. getting into um, I believe the fourth round there. Mm-hmm. Um, he beat yeah. his good friend and another big fan of our podcast. Or <laughs> people, he is a we're big a big fan. fan. Of podcast. <laughs> we're a big fan. I hope he's a big fan. And uh, a Ra- Raleigh, Raleigh Opelka, uh, really tight battle in the first uh, round between those guys. Then Taylor beat a pretty good uh, Andre Rublev. And, and it's important to note he had to fend off match point in the second set tiebreak against Raleigh Opelka. Ah, I mean, right. he was very close to being kicked out of this tournament in the early round and was able to go through Opelka and then, as you said, make a very deep run. Yeah, actually beat uh, Verdasco. And two years ago, Matt, you and I saw Fritz lose to Verdasco at uh, the Winston-Salem Open. So I don't know if they've played again since then, but I just think that's a testament. You know, his, his game is growing, his maturity beat Verdasco in the third set breaker. Um, really awesome to see. And quite frankly, um, went toe-to-toe with Borna Koric. I mean, three-set match, um, middle set, second set was a tiebreaker, third set lost six, uh, four to six. So, I mean, um, that was just an awesome match to watch. Um, nothing else crazy. I mean, uh, it was really cool to see Bradley Klon back at the main draw uh, of a Masters tournament. He got a wild card in there. Love Bradley. We're big fans. Sam Query actually, I think, played very well. Got to the um, – Sam Query got one round. To the fourth round. To, yeah. I think actually he got to the – I thought he got to the, the quarterfinals, did he not? I don't know. Oh, yes. He, no, he, he did. I'm yeah. sorry. He got to the quarterfinals. You're right. Yeah. So, great tournament for um, Sam Query. Our boy, Tennis Sangren. <laughs> Got to the second round. Uh, good to see him now with his that higher ranking, um, you know, based on his amazing Australian mm-hmm. Open. Now, do we well. know, considering the recent media hubbub uh, around tennis, Sangren, do mm-hmm. we know if he's experiencing any backlash or any 
talk I have to not you heard will anything. whenever he goes. I, I yeah, I've been looking out for that. I've kind of been curious, especially Indian Wells has this really odd history. There's kind of like the, the, this controversy with the Williams sisters yeah. 10 or 12 years ago. Um, that was kind of like this he said, she said thing. Um, but didn't know if something was going to pop up like that again in um, Indian Wells because of Tennessee. I have not seen anything at all about this guy getting slack. Um, I'm sure some super liberal tennis podcasters still, you know, thinking it's the apocalypse. A.K. Someone... The, the mainstream tennis media. Yes. So I'm sure someone's having – Still having a meltdown that he's allowed to play tennis, you know, isn't in jail or something. I, but, I uh, but other than that, no, I've not, I've heard nothing actually at all. Um, well, just so that. people know, we will not virtue signal on this podcast. Absolutely not. Well, better than that. Yeah. We're not turning any M's upside down on National Women's Day. No, no, we we're sticking to our guns here. That's right. But overall, though, I, I, I'm glad you summarized that, Indian Wells. Uh, I do think Indian Wells has some of the best facilities and is on par, if not better, than the U.S. Open. And I'm comfortable yeah. saying that. Uh, I would even I, say it's better than the French Open. And, I mean, I've yeah, been to Roland Garros. Easily. It's uh, it's not that – I mean, I mean, Roland Garros is impressive. It's very old. It's, it's, it's a great place to be. It's one of the meccas of tennis. Uh but I, I haven't been there since the new construction. I'm curious to see how that is. However, Indian Wells is just it. It really is a tennis paradise. It, it's the Vegas of tennis, is what it is. That's well, a good way to put it. I believe that Indian Wells, Matt, had Hawkeye on all of their courts before the U.S. Open did. I mean, I'm talking like every yeah, pre- right. every court at Indian Wells that a tournament ATP matches play. I mean, on they they have that Oracle money. That's what that yeah. is. Well, sure. I mean, Larry Ellison, like they, I think Oracle invented Hawkeye, which mm-hmm. I would imagine was just Larry Ellison's pet project, you know, <laughs> which is just so awesome, you know, just all and probably invent one of the biggest technological advances in professional tennis ever. Um, <laughs> but anywho, but yeah, really cool um, tournament always. Nothing crazy for the American man except for Fritz and Query uh, going deep there. Uh, but now. We also skipped over something really quick. Matt, huge news for one of our, our friends, or another friend of the podcast. Big uh, Toe Francis, Francis Tiafo, big Franny, down there, won his first pro title at on Delray Beach, 250, wiped up the floor with Peter Gojewick of Germany in the finals. Uh, just really, really cool to see. Uh, Francis break in there. He'd obviously had a lot of success at the challenger level. He's been getting in um, some great results at the tour. Uh, he's at, a, I, th- I believe, a career high here, Matt, uh, 63 right now. Um, so, oh, excuse me, his career high is 70, but, or 60, whatever. But uh, just really awesome, period. I mean, get that first big title under your belt, um, coached by an old American pro, Robbie Ginepri. Just it was cool to see. I mean, twenty years old, future's bright as always. Yeah, he's gone a lot, uh, a long way since we saw him. What was it, two or three years ago in qualifying? Yeah, the playing Ron. Salem Open. Yeah, played Ron Harrison. Yeah. Yeah, it just it really is unbelievable. I, when you see things like this, Alex, you see Fritz making a deep round. You see our lower guys really make a lot of noise on the challenger level. 
And with all these injuries to Murray and, and, jo and Djokovic and Nadal, and then obviously with how we saw Federer struggle a little bit against Delpo, however I think Delpo is a very worldly opponent, I mean, is it safe to say that really the next generation of tennis, particularly men's tennis, has arrived? I think so. I mean, if they haven't arrived, they're 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 knocking on the door. I mean, you've I think you have more legitimate American men, uh, men's tennis talent getting into the main draws of these big tournaments um, than you have had in quite a few years. I mean, these guys are emerging from the challengers to. Uh, fixing their schedules to play majority of tour level matches now, or tour level tournaments, I should say. Um, so I, I don't, I think it's as best as it's been in a while. You know, I mean, we, I don't think we have a huge firepower up top that we used to have with Andy Roddick, but Jack Sock's pretty close. Sam Query's pretty close. Isner's having a bad year, but he's still on top twenty. Terrible uh, year for terrible John Isner. Terrible year for my boy. Hey, doing great, great, though. Won the doubles with Jack Sock. And uh, that's well. right. That's they, pretty uh, cool. Yeah, Very forgot to cool. mention that. And, and uh, Sock is, from what I've read, a fantastic doubles player. Well, and he'll play with about anybody. A year or two ago, statistically, Sock was the best doubles player, period, like on, on the planet. I don't know if that statistic is still true now, but how do you he, say statistically, like win percentage? Just, yeah, I, th I think it was his win percentage. I read an article about it. I mean, he, his win percentage was just out of the world. Um, and um, what am I trying to say? He, um, I mean, you pair essentially the best doubles player in the world, Jack Sock, with the best server in John Isner. I mean, it's not You're a. Get it's, good it's almost like why are they not playing more often? Hmm. Well, I, I think they probably – I would like to see them actually do that. And it generally frustrates me seeing some of our top-level guys you know, play doubles along with singles. I mean, we see like Serena Williams do it a lot, but she kind of get, gets a pass, and that, that's fine. But to me, if they have the energy and they have the time, I, I say why not, especially in some of these – I don't want to necessarily say smaller tournaments, but if you're just playing three sets, then go ahead. It really bugs me in a Grand Slam when you have to play, you know, you're playing up to five sets in singles matches, and then, oh, great, I just played a three-and-a-half, four-hour match. Now i got to go play a doubles match here in a couple hours. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I so I I think you really have to I, – I, I think you can kind of – you can be on the fence with it, I think, still have a pretty successful career. And clearly, Isner and Sock have shown that. To me, I say – I say keep it up, and it's great for Isner because I think Isner can, if he can match up with Sock, I think they both can have tremendous success in doubles, just absolutely tremendous success. So I'd like to see see them keep it up. I mean, I'd love to pay pay to watch them take on the Bryan brothers again. Absolutely, absolutely. When's the last time the Bryan brothers have won a, a big tournament? That, that's funny because the Bryan brothers were on that crazy streak a few years back, a couple years back, really, where it was just absolutely unbelievable. And now, lately, they're still doing fantastic, let's be honest. But, but they're not as good as really where they were. Did they um, – something wants to tell me that they won a tournament lately. Maybe Delray Beach or something. Yeah, I'm probably. pretty sure they've won one recently. I'm sure yeah. our listeners can just go Wikipedia. Yeah, as they can <laughs> tell, we are not exactly oracles of knowledge right here sure. when it comes but, to the doubles game. But, Matt, moving on to Miami – 
So, kind of some not great results out of the first round. We've got Bjorn Vertangelo losing in straights. We've got Ryan Harrison losing a tight one and two tiebreakers to Joel Souza. Then we've got Chris Eubanks. Well, Michael Moe beat Chris Eubanks. I'm a big fan of Michael Moe and Chris Eubanks for that matter as well. Um, and also our boy Fritz losing in straights yeah, as well. Yeah, Fritz lost in straights, but it was, what, 7-6, six, 6-4. Six, six, it was pretty close. Yeah, t- yeah. yeah tough match. But, but regardless of just really going over results, for Fritz, I mean, I, I, I'm okay with that. I, I think it's sometimes too easy to get bogged down just looking at score lines and saying, oh, sure. well, he had a bad, he had a bad. No, we really need to look, look at Fritz. Um, he was able to go late and did Dean Wells. He was playing Manorino, who's a very seasoned player, and he took, took him to two sites, two tight sets. I'm pretty happy with that. I mean, I, you don't want to be happy with a loss. I make it very clear. But you can't be terribly upset with it. So I, yeah. I think Fritz is doing good. Um, Alex, I, I don't know about you, but as far as people, I'm looking forward to having a good tur- tournament. I think I think Sock is going to have a good Miami tournament, assuming him and his thought of a girlfriend on, on the beach all day. Uh, I, I expect to see – I think Sock has a fairly reasonable draw. And I'm looking at John Isner to get some, some results. Yeah, he period. Really, he really Slack needs to. Slack season, period, uh, on the boy. He, uh, no he's really, I mean, he's really not playing any, but he will not play anybody of really reasonable means until the fourth round if he can make it there. He has a very favorable draw. He would play Chilich in the fourth round. So I, I'm looking at you, John Isner. Really need to see some good, good results here. If not, it's you know it's pretty disappointing. Yeah, no, he's uh he's been having a down year period. Um, so no excuse there. And, um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, man, I think I'm looking forward to, you know, someone who's kind of bugging me. He actually has had some good results lately, but I kind of want to see a little action out of Steve Johnson. You know, he's, he's so frustrating because yeah, well, he has that, that one handed, this, the the slice backhand. It's literally, he does. I mean, he hits probably a top spin backhand less than. 5% 5% of the time on his backhand. Well, now, that, granted, that's why he got, that, that's why he was knocked out of Indian Wells. His slice backhand got eaten up all day. Yeah. Now, granted, I think it's a really good, probably one of the better by, <laughs> better backhand slices on the tour, granted, because he's had so much practice hitting it. But, I mean, this year hasn't been terrible for him. I mean, we got to the semifinals of Delray Beach. Um, he just got to the semifinals of the Irving Tennis Classic Challenger, um, but uh, I I, I kind of want to see a little action. I mean, uh, other than that, it's been a pretty bad year. I mean, he's had multiple tournaments losing in the first round. Um, you know, nothing impressive really, um, and just want to see him step it up. I mean, he's a good player, uh, and I just want to see a little bit of action. He's got a Victor Estrella Estrella Burgos in the first round playing Adrian Manorino in the second. I mean, that's those are two winnable matches, and um, he's most likely going to face Pablo Carrena Busta in the third round. 
I mean, he legitimately could get to the fourth round where he would probably meet Roger Federer. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's – I want to see a little action there, period. Um, yeah. No, i, I got to challenge you about his one-handed backhand. I, I will say it's very consistent, and he has pretty good placement. However, Medvedev at Indian Wells just ate him up for dinner yeah. with it. And I know that's just one, one match, but it was it was sad. He wasn't really, you know, Steve Johnson wasn't really hitting deep, penetrating balls with a slice back in. And that's really what you have to do. You have to have great placement. You have to be able to hit those penetrating balls to give you some breathing room and to allow yourself to get back and reset at the baseline. And prepare for your opponent's return shot because you're not going to hit any winners. You're going to have to force a lot of unforced errors there. And really, he was hitting some pretty soft balls close to the net, but not close enough to even really be considered drop shots. And Medvedev, Medvedev would just come right on up and just hit a, you know, uh, forehand right down the line. And Steve Johnson, if he was able to run out and get it to his forehand, he would just set up Medvedev to do a simple volley. Uh, on the ad court and finish off the point. It, honestly, it was almost sad to watch. Uh, and I honestly want to say sad to watch. I take that back. It was just, it became very predictable and he was really picking on Steve Johnson's backhand slice. So I'm curious to see how that, how that goes. Now, Alex, how long has he, has it been since he transitioned his backhand slice? It's been a few years that he's done this. I mean, at, at least two years, if not more. Um, but he used to play with the topspin backhand. I mean, in college, he played with it. When he was first came on the tour, he played with it. It was not um, – this is not something he's done his entire life, which is just so oddly fascinating to me. Because to me, it seems like, okay, you're getting on the tour. You probably have access to better coaches, more, you know, feel like your backhand would just get better, not regress. And, I mean, look, he's 50, he's 52 in the world with a slice backhand. I mean, it's, yeah, uh, still pretty decent, uh, but uh, but I, I digress, you know. So that's that. But we'll see. We'll see what happens, you know. But uh, looking forward to seeing seeing every, everybody play, see what they've got to throw on the table. Um, I think Query has a pretty favorable draw. He, he'll play the winner of Ricardus Barrancas and Radu Albat in the second round. Um, so could possibly meet Shapovalov in the third round, uh, but, uh, but that's that. So you know who else has been really bad this year, Matt? Kind of bugging me. See if you can guess uh, what, who I'm going to say. Uh, let me – how about Donald Young, yep. who we've blacklisted from yes, speaking from about his, on the podcast. His, I, I shouldn't even mention his name. From the little Ron Harrison. Is Harrison's that who you were going to say? Yeah, it was. I, I wonder if they've made up. Well, you know what's so weird about Donald Young and um, is that his um, – mom i think for quite a while was his his coach and it's my understanding that his mom has like little i mean she's like a teaching pro but i think she was a teaching pro because her son got like really good at tennis you know what i'm saying like it's my understanding that she did not have a history 
of of coaching tennis before like her son was born or anything like that and that could be wrong but it was very odd because he was he he kind of had some decent some some pretty decent years with um like USTA coaches and whatnot um but I don't know it's it, it, it that was just very odd to me um that he was using his mom as a coach and not, you know, when you had the USDA telling you, like, yeah, like, here's a free coach, just take all you want. But I digress. But I think, Matt, we need to go to some happier subjects, talk about the American Mover of the Week. Yeah, so the American Mover of the Week, of the week we have is now Dennis Kudla. So Dennis Kudla is currently at a all-time ranking or uh, career high ranking of 144, and he just moved up 24 spots um, after winning a challenger up in Canada in Drummondville, I believe is how you pronounce it. Uh, so that was very, very good, good to see that. And we cannot forget that Dennis Kudla also took Dominic Pointing to five sets in the first round of the Australian Open. I'm sorry, second, second round. Uh, of the Australian Open after having to qualify and after beating uh, Stevie J, who we were just talking about a minute ago, um, in, in, four, in four sets. So really, Dennis Cudlow's been out here. He's been grinding. He's he's made it deep in, a, in another challenger earlier this year as well. And I look at seeing Dennis Cudlow now with that 144 ranking. He's going to get some pretty favorable draws on a lot of these challengers. He should be, for most of them, you know, generally at least a number three, at most number four seed for your average, you know, run-in-the-mill uh, challenger, you know, 75K challenger. He'll probably even be a number two, maybe a number one seed, depending on the field. So I'm really excited to see Kudla possibly even break through the top 100. I don't know if it's going to happen this year, but I think based on the way he's moving, Dixon, yeah, doesn't have a whole lot of points to defend and, you know, really the main tall matches, like your 250s and you know, your 500s, etc. I think he's going to have a whole lot to offer, and he's somebody to really keep an eye out. Uh, he's going to be, so he's got to choose now, though, from, okay, do I want to try to qualify for this 250, or do I want to try to qualify for this 500, or do I just, you know, take a high seat in a challenger? And I, I think that's going to be a pretty interesting decision for him to make, and I'm curious to see uh, to see what he does. Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, it's going to be fun to watch him as well. He was kind of one of those guys too that last year too really wasn't um, really wasn't doing much to me. So uh, yeah, not yeah. I mean, he's I I think we're a little hard on some of these other guys. You know, there, there's really a forgotten group of guys, and I think Ryan, they're really Ryan Harrison, Kevin King, Dennis Cudlow, Tennis Sandgren, Ernest Escobedo. And I feel like they kind of, kind of get lost because we have really these young stars coming up, like your Tommy Pauls, your Raleo Pelpis, your, your, your Taylor Fritz, your Jared Donaldson's. Uh, Jared Donaldson, who just beat Marcus Baghdadis today, a great win for him, uh, first round of the Miami Open. You know, we really can't forget, forget about these guys because most normal tennis players, I mean, they're not going to, if they ever do crack the top 100, which is not normal. That's not your average professional tennis player. It's generally in their mid to sometimes even like 20s after they have years of experience on them. And that's what some of these guys are doing. That's what we're seeing. That's why I think why we're seeing the success of Ryan Harrison. 
success of Tony Sandgren, and now hopefully the continued success of Dennis Cudlock. So we let's not get lost in just blindly chatting about you know all Fritzes, all Donaldsons, all Pelkas, and really realize there are these other guys out here that hey, they, I mean they've been out here bombing aces down the line. While Fritz and Opelka will barely freshman in high school. But for all those listening, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can reach out to us in a number of ways. One of those is via Gmail. You can email us any questions at aceoutwidepodcast at gmail.com. And you can also follow us at aceoutwidepc on Twitter. All right. Well, thank you, guys. And we will talk to you guys here in a few weeks.